just the teamwork that goes into even small trail networks or even suburban trail networks or even pump tracks in an urban setting or whatever, like the, the community involvement is what's super amazing to see. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Chris Curry is our guest for episode 52. I originally reached out to Chris to learn about the newly created Stands Connection program, which transformed into a whole lot more as Chris is a pioneer within the industry of mountain biking. There's a ton of knowledge packed into this hour with Chris. As you will find out here, Stands No Tubes is really stepping up to get their customers connected at the grassroots level with the organizations that help keep trails going in their local communities. So kick back and enjoy this episode with Chris Curry and Stands No Tubes. Support for Trailfect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. Most of us are well aware of the chain supply issues our world is facing. The good news is that new bikes are rolling onto the sales floor daily at Smith's Bike Shop. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wellenek of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are today with Trail Effect. I have Chris Curry. He is the creative director of Stands No Tubes. And the reason why we have Chris on today is because Chris has a thing called Connection, which is really supporting trails, supporting communities. But before we get into that stuff, Chris has got a really rich history in the mountain bike industry. And so how's it going today, Chris? Pretty good. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, let's get into that deep history that you have because you were early <laughs> on at the e-commerce days and suspension designs and all sorts of stuff that really dates back to Very deep. close to the beginning of mountain biking. Ancient. Ancient, ancient history. So I, uh, I, I first became aware of mountain bikes. Um, oh wow, that would have been probably the even the eighties, I guess. And I remember doing book reports on mountain bikes in uh, grade school, and people were like, "It has how many gears?" And you know, what is that? And you know, that was back when you had your your triples and your crazy gearing, and it was almost measured the the value of a bike was measured in how many gears it had you know there was 20 21 speed that's crazy you know and so um all these various full rigid steel bikes and i got into it and, and i was able to uh pick up a uh Jameis dakar was one of this was you know the specialized had their bikes and and there were uh uh ross had some bikes around Jameis had some bikes around and i got a used uh, Jameis Dakar, and it was essentially like a touring frame or something. You know, at the time they had lugged forks that were road forks, basically. 
And I rode that bike until the drop out, drop out, uh, out snapped off the fork. And that was a, that was a, a kind of a wild time because a, a car pulled up and saw me carrying my broken bicycle. And I thought, oh, somebody's coming to help me, you know, help me get home with my front wheel separate from, from my, my fork. And, and she asked for directions to get to this local college that was near where I was living at the time. And, and I thought that that would, you know, there would be the asking for the directions and then the, you know, the give and take would be, do you need any help? I see you carrying your, your bicycle in two pieces, you know, and I gave her the directions and she was just like, thanks. And, took off. <laughs> so <laughs> I was still holding my two pieces of bicycle and I, uh, you know, carried it the whole way, the whole way home and, uh, got a replacement fork and, and kept riding. And then, then bikes evolved and evolved. And that ended up leading to a real love of bicycles and working in bike shops and, um, meeting all kinds of zany friends and, uh, got the idea uh, in the in the mid '90s, that that this whole internet thing might have a future, and um, it would be really cool to create a kind of translate that small local bike shop vibe to something that could be on the internet because the internet was wide open at that point. You know, it really was just a community, and people hadn't figured out how to weaponize it and ruin it quite yet. So it was had a lot of positive energy to it, and one of the the catalysts for for the interest in becoming an entrepreneur was i was working at a bike shop at the time and i had a an old uh, rockshox judy fork that i had uh, taken off a, of, of a bike and was putting some other fork on it or something so i had this fork for sale and i sold it and a guy bought it in singapore and I, it was through MTBR, so hat tip to, to, to Francis over MTBR too, but I, uh, they had a classified section, right? And I, and I just posted this fork and some, somebody bought it and I shipped it all the way there. And I mean, he said, thank you. And I engaged in this worldwide transaction for my used, you know, Judy, tan Judy elastomer suspension fork. And I thought, holy cow, you know, like, this is incredible. So started a, a company, built a website with some friends. And building a website then is very, very different animal than today. You know what you, you kids with your with your Shopify, um, it was a whole whole different animal, and you had to be willing to 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 take on some some real heavy labor and and responsibilities, let alone enduring the dial-up. And ended up teaching myself a bunch of code and being able to kind of get the get the site off the ground. Back in the day, you know, you'd you'd be looking at a page of ten thousand lines of code, something, and you'd hit, you know, upload. And then as I'm watching it, I notice there's like something out of place. So it's, it's going to error anyway when it gets there. And I just have to wait for the DAO up to connect and upload this whole thing, and then do it. So, you know, kind of became a little proficient at it out of sheer necessity because that was so painful. You know, you you screw up, you wait. You screw up, you wait. It's like this little punishment every time you, you got something wrong so built out the site and really there were other online uh, bike shops too we started doing a lot of things that just were cool things that bike shops did you know we took pictures of everybody's bikes and we posted pictures of the bikes we built on the site had a little gallery and people loved it i mean they just they, they just love seeing their bikes and you know when you were custom building bikes for people we became 
kind of a hot rod shop. We sold a lot of components, um, but we we ended up primarily becoming a, a kind of uh, known for custom bike builds. That was a pretty good time, and um, we uh, really kind of leaned into that. Developed a custom bike builder online, did all kinds of stuff. And we were always pretty small, but it was a it was a pretty cool little little mon monpa operation. Where were you guys based out of? Geographically, that is. When I uh, started that business, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I grew up near near Pittsburgh, outside of Pittsburgh. And we were looking for locations when we started that business. And my whole MO, I mean, I actually started that business for, for $30,000. I think it was like $32,000 total investment um, to, start, to start the business. And, uh, you know, scraped that together with family and friends and everything and, and did that. And we were looking for a place that was really low rent. And my thinking was, you know, we're going to use the Internet, right? So let's be where the trails are. And there was some pretty epic road riding where we ended up as well. I said, let's, let's just pick a beautiful place. And then the idea is, you know, we can reach people everywhere. I, we were sort of content marketing before there was content marketing. Like if we're where there's cool trails, it didn't seem like too complicated a formula. Ride bicycles, take pictures of yourself, show them to people. Then they know that you ride bicycles. So they buy parts from you because you break them and stuff too. And so we ended up in this um, little tiny, tiny, tiny town uh, called Lachlan town, just outside of uh, Greensburg, PA. And that's uh, east of Pittsburgh. And we ended up in an old one-room schoolhouse. And I think it was, my wife says it was $1,000 a month rent. But I swear when we first started, it was $500 a month rent. You know, just this old little, everything around us was like antique shops. And it has now since become an antique shop as well, as all things do in this, in this little place. I mean, we were building insane bicycles and just doing a heck of a lot of business out of this little building. And we ended up having to expand the building. We built a two-story addition on the back to kind of keep up with it. But I mean, it was classic, like, you know, individual panes of glass with the little lead, um, you know, whatever you know, framework for the glass and it, these giant bay windows in the front of this ancient building. And we were only about 30 feet from uh, Route 30, uh, the only interstate road kind of going through there big tractor trailers and stuff would go by and the whole front bay windows of this building would breathe like lungs you know they were so old that the whole thing would just move and, and it was home for a long time we did all kinds of cool stuff out of there you know that was where we first discovered tubeless so that was really the origins of, of everything with the stand stuff the first early experiments of uh, uh oh what happens when you do this oh you you coat the building with liquid latex uh, is what happens when you do that. You know, this, this was before there really was any, again, it, it's so dialed now, you know, the, the systems and everything, the consistency and everything is uh, the tires, the quality, the beads and everything is so much better. But, you know, back then you were looking for the right rim that kind of worked and the right uh, uh, rim strip. And, and there was all kinds of adventures. And then we were building all these full suspension bikes too. So, I rode everything and I got, I got really into how suspension worked and, you know, what, what we tended to like more than other things. 
uh, you know, became responsible for answering all kinds of questions from people, you know, about, well, how's, how's the Titus Racer X ride? How's that compare it to a Santa Cruz Superlight? How's that compare it to an Ellsworth? How's that compare it to, you know, all the above? And he just got really absorbed in that. So we got really interested in doing our own thing. And that's what kind of started to lead the way into the suspension development stuff. What's interesting about that is you talked about a Jameis Dakar being your first mountain bike. (laughs) Yeah. And as we move forward, we're going to talk about three VO suspension. Yeah. Which is found on a Jameis. I know. It's kind of funny. I, uh, when I met with them, when they, when they licensed it, I met with them and, and they hadn't known that, you know, Jameis was my first bike. And I was, I was like, you know, Jameis was actually my first bike and it was so old. In fact, that Karen, the owner said, Oh, you had a Dakar. Um, I was, I'm sorry. It was a Dakota. It was a Jameis Dakota. And she said, she said, Oh, you had a Dakota. Uh, was it? And she listed two colors. And I'm like, nah, it was neither of those colors. It was, it was like a, like a copper like a brown copper. And she said, Oh, Oh, that was before me. I was like, Oh, <laughs> I'm like a thousand years old, you know? But I said, yeah, my, my first bike ever was a, was a Jameis. And, you know, there's nothing that can really capture that time. It was one of those weird things, you know, you, you're so used to seeing mountain bikes when you go in bike shops now, but anybody listening, just imagine a time when you go in and there's nothing else like that. I mean, the closest thing you would compare it to is it's all road and commuter bikes and stuff. And then you see the equivalent would be like a, a, like one of those like SE cruisers, you know, where all of a sudden something has like upright handlebars and big tires, but it was so much more bizarre than that. You know, like a mountain bike in a bike shop in the eighties and nineties was this, I mean, it was like seeing a, like a Bugatti just hanging out at a car dealership. It was so exotic and it was, it was so cool. And so, you know, that, that kind of passion stuck around and I had come to it from, from motorcycles anyway. I was pretty into, into motorcycles when I was really young and that just sort of became untenable. There's just no place to ride. You know, you, you, you kind of graduate from putt, putt, you know, four strokes, two strokes, and suddenly, you know, people who used to tolerate you when you go two stroke, you're done, you know, (laughs) your places to ride drop to. You know, uh, you got you got to be seriously racing to to get your your time in, and so I, th- I really turned to mountain bikes, and that's when I turned to the Jameis. And so the suspension from the motorcycle thing was always a huge factor too. So just just the the love of mountain bikes when they first showed up, and then the old times uh, going out to High Point Raceway in Pennsylvania and seeing seeing the moto guys and stuff, and just how how cool it was. They always had stuff you couldn't have you know, the Honda racing guys, this was the era of Magoo Chandler and David Bailey and stuff. And, and, and it would, and, and Johnny O and they show up with, you know, like aluminum gas tanks that went down and had the kick kickstand built into the, uh, the Kickstarter built into the, the shape of the tank. It's just crazy stuff you couldn't get. And that sort of unobtainium, you know, was an early mountain bike thing too. So, so just that love of machines and and cool stuff the suspension stuff was sort of a logical conclusion so i started working on suspension designs around uh really around around 2000 uh we were always thinking about it and that was just me uh frankly it was just me being dumb where i was like you know i see what a lot of companies do is they they start a retail business and an e-commerce business and then they branch out into their own products right it's it's what you do but I wasn't 
savvy enough to realize that what you're supposed to do is just like pick up the phone and get a hold of somebody overseas who can make you a bunch of stuff and put your stickers on it. So I'm like, okay, we got to make our own product. Step one, design revolutionary suspension system from the ground up, you know, and it was like completely stupid way to do it. But I'm like, let's, let's, let's do this. And around that time, 29ers were becoming a thing as well. Carl, the snarl at Vicious Cycles built me a The Motivator. The is part of the name, folks. So it's it was a bike, uh, still is, great, great frame, steel frame, fully rigid, built me a The Motivator. And Carl is one of these like low-key dudes who's been involved in everything substantial that happened in the early days of mountain, mountain biking without getting any credit. You know, 29, Carl, 27.5, Carl. He's not quite as high-profile as you know, the Gary Fishers of the world and stuff, but Carl's always been there as he built me this 29er. And I just, I just love the hell out of that bike. And it was just the most fun and the greatest bike in the world, but suspension was just starting to happen. So I'm like, what can we do? I need the big wheels, but I need suspension and nobody was doing it. And, uh, we were selling a bunch of Titus bikes at the time. And I'd gotten to know Chris Callis at Titus pretty well. And I kept bugging him, build, you got to build me a racer X got to build me a 29-inch Racer X. Chris was more than happy to take my money for a custom titanium frame because when you did custom with Titus, anything custom, he went titanium. He was happy to, to do a titanium front triangle, but making a 29-er meant he had to make some seat stays and chain stays out of aluminum that you know he wasn't making in mass quantities now. So I finally convinced him to do it. I still have that bike. It's got to be one of the first 29, full suspension 29 uh inch wheel bikes ever made and it was really really cool and then i proceeded to just mod it all out and hack it like like crazy put a big fork on the front like like ended up being slack almost like today style geometry where you just monster truck over stuff with with this bike it only had 80 millimeters of rear travel probably on a good day but it was uh it was so fun to ride and he came out to pennsylvania and he rode it and he was like that's just super cool like he loved the fork and what was going on with it he couldn't even get too many 29 inch forks at the time i took an old marzocchi shiver and modified it to be able to work with the big wheel and so it was just a cool bike so we got really into that and then we we did a small production run of like our own version of an aluminum version of that frame and i got more involved in suspension and a little bit in the whole manufacturing thing and and then just started tinkering with my own designs had some engineering friends so uh managed to get a hold of uh, solid works and learn enough to be dangerous and just started uh, uh, doing designs in that and trying to come up with some stuff, you know, crazy misadventures, hiring engineering companies. I hired one engineering company that was going out of business as I was working with them. And I ended up learning a good bit of solid works because I would show up for meetings and their solid works guy just like wouldn't show up. And they were like, well, yeah, you know, I don't know. And I would just sit down at his computer and I could like kind of, you know, look at a little bit of stuff and figure some stuff out and between that and everything else. I kind of taught myself. And, and then I, they finally were like, yeah, we're kind of like going out of business. I don't think we're going to be able to meet this week. And so suffice to say the deliverables were not delivered. And I just kept on, kept on going and just doing more myself as I went. And then um, again, much like the e-commerce these days, it's, like the resources are there. There's a YouTube video for anything you can teach yourself. It's the sky's the limit. Like you can do so much. It, it's impressive. And uh, 
started developing what would become 3VO and working on that for years and years and years and, and really refining it. It was built around big wheels. Uh, it was built to have a, su- a suspension system that did what I wanted it to do with big wheels. And it evolved from there into something that just turned out to have really nice numbers. As, as I learned more, I'm like, oh, I, I see why it works now. You know, it, it learned more as I went. We ended up with a, a design that's um, pretty adaptable, pretty, pretty versatile. People seem to like the way it rides. And, and, and Jameis took an interest in it pretty early on in the process. I, I, using a friend, I managed to get some proof of concept frames made. Sent some off to, uh, to uh, sent one off to Sal uh, at Jameis, and everybody got a chance to kind of ride it around, and and they they seemed to really really dig it, and and yeah, it seemed to fit well for what they were trying to do. They did a really nice job with the the first generations. For those that aren't familiar with this three VO suspension, how would you describe kind of the layout of it? Uh, the, probably the easiest way to think about it is a short dual link design, so that puts it in the same family as uh, what Santa Cruz does, what the DW bikes uh, do. Uh, there's several other ones uh, like it now. Canfield does does cool bikes that, that have a, a configuration like that. Banshee, a lot of people use the short, short dueling, dueling systems. In this case, uh, they rotate in the same direction. That, that's kind of a thing. What's kind of unique about it is that the instant center, which is if you, if you were to draw a magic line it's hard hard to 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 visualize without the diagrams and everything but uh and i want to get super suspension wonky but the instant center is this um imaginary point in space you know when you have a single pivot bike it's just like opening and closing a screen door right super easy to get your head around like got one pivot goes up goes down but when you got multiple links that axle path can be manipulated and the leverage ratio can be manipulated on the shock and all all these all these things become fine tunable and the instant center becomes like the the new imaginary center point, like what you would have with a single pivot normally. Um, but it moves around because the dual links let you kind of move that thing around. And what's kind of unique about the three VO is the location of its instant center is is patented. It's it's a unique location for the instant center. And in order to get there, the um, a lot of bikes you you. If you look at the bike and your eyes scan from the back of the bike to the front of the bike, you have your swing arm with your rear wheel attached, and then you have a link up top and a link down below, and then you have your front triangle. So you go, you know, swing arm, links, front triangle. In the case of the the 3VO design, particularly when you look at the bottom link, the swing arm actually connects to the front of the bottom link, and the mainframe connects to the rear. And it's it's self-explanatory when you see it but it's complex to kind of try to describe without without visuals but what it does is it takes that imaginary point that instant center and it it isolates it into a really nice spot just kind of behind the crankset and it keeps it in this this nice little pocket and there's 10,000 different ways you can build a bike with the with the 3VO suspension but at the end of the day some of the consistencies are you can uh, generate a really consistent curve, both leverage and and something called anti-squat and something called anti-rise. You can have nice smooth numbers because you can you can fine tune. You don't have to deal with huge deviations, huge huge swings, and stuff like that. So everything with suspension design is a series of compromises. You know, you're you're making the bike a little better at one thing, a little worse at others. 
there's no magic silver bullet that cures everything, but it's a it's a a really nice balance. It's almost like an equalizer. You know, if you see an audio equalizer, you're like a little bit more here, a little bit more there. It, it's kind of a nice uh, tool set for getting where you want to get, depending on the bike. Yeah, and for those that want to see that visual, you can go to the Jameis website and they have some really good YouTube <laughs> videos. And we will link that into the show notes because I was just looking at that yesterday. And you can get a really good diagram of how the suspension actually works. And one of the things that seems to stick out to me is that while you get good suspension for going downhill, it's from what I can tell, it's a very good, very efficient pedaling suspension also. Yeah, you can, you can run some uh, anti-squat is, you know, defined as that uh, tendency of the bike to uh, not squat down, to count, counteract the, the, the force of your body weight bouncing up and down on the bike because you're the heaviest thing on your bicycle. And uh, when, you, when you pedal, if you have a bike that didn't have some sort of suspension system calibrated uh, to uh, counteract this, the bike would just bounce up and down like crazy. And I mean, we all know it if you've been around for a while, but experienced it in early full suspension bikes and things like that. Uh, most of us have ridden a bike that, that, that isn't super efficient and it just, you know, robs your energy and you're constantly kind of bouncing up and down when you're trying to climb. And what anti-squat does is it takes that, takes the, the chain tension and it uses it to kind of counteract that, that, that weight transfer feeling. So you pedal and it's just nice and smooth and level. And then when you, when you need it, it's super supple. I think the combo, pe- people seem to really like that. We were able to get some really nice things going on with, with what 3VO can do with that balance between super solid feeling on the climbs, but also like really supple. So when you're climbing the, you know, chunky staircase style stuff, it's, it's pretty cool because you do get that, tra- that traction that comes from still having supple suspension on the, on the square edge stuff going up, but you're, you're still getting that efficiency. And I mean, there's a lot of great systems out there now. Everybody's doing a, a, a really nice job, but we're able to get some really high anti-squat values. So efficiency-wise, it's, it's it's pretty cool. Before we roll into trails and stands, I'm going to go a little bit out of order here. It seems like you're really early on with a lot of things in mountain biking. And one of the one of the questions I like to ask people, partially for humor, partially for learning, for educating people, and partially for just letting people know that you can push beyond your limits if you just, you know, are willing to fail, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. do you have any famous failures? Oh. That you oh would like to so talk many. about in terms of early <laughs> e-commerce, suspension design, any of the things that we've discussed or maybe something we haven't discussed yet that just really resonates that you learned from? Oh, all all of the above. I I mean the the you, you got to do a lot of things wrong to do a couple things right and uh, I've, I've done a lot of, a lot of things wrong. And, um, you know, I, there's, there's big, you know, heavy kind of heavy ones, you know, like, like, like hardcore business advice, you know, we're going to kind of, kind of Bloomberg this a little bit, you know, there's, there's a, here's what not to do. I think, you know, on the one hand, we, uh, in, in that kind of big heavy department, we seriously outgrew our, our area for the business we were doing and everything. And we didn't, we just kind of slept on that, you know, and then you, you kind of wake up one morning in this tiny little town and you're trying to get talent to come in. And it's like, well, there, you know, there's a, there's a pie shop. It's a really, they make really good pies. And that's, you know, and it's like, we're co- 
competing against people, recruiting people, you know, all kinds of places, the front range and SoCal and all kinds of stuff. And it was cool because we were really unique and we were almost like independent journalism, but we, we kind of hung out there a little too long and, and we really, we kept, you know, kind of adding on to that building when it would have made sense to kind of, even if we didn't move to another state to just like do it right and expand. And so, you know, that's, that's a weird cautionary tale because sometimes it's just a matter of confidence. You know, you gotta just be able to tell yourself like, yeah, it's working, but let's double down, you know, let's do it. And so that was, that, that, that was that was certainly a failure, but there have been countless. You know, it's just it's a it's a paved uh, it's paved with with with, with failure. You know, the, the thing I alluded to before, I obviously didn't have a great track record of picking uh, partners. You know, because I, I picked this one engineering firm, and I'm I'm driving down to Pittsburgh every day to meet with them, and to say that wasn't fruitful, you know, would would be an understatement. You know, the people who are working on it, they worked hard when they could, but uh, I obviously spent money and didn't get much out of that at the end of the day as a, you know, it's a, a, a ton of, uh, you, you just can't be afraid of them. I think the key mistakes are compounded and failures are compounded when you don't have the vision of where you're going in the first place. You know, if you have a, a, a clear vision of where you're trying to go, the mistakes are a little more palatable and you can absorb them because it, it's part of the process, you know, but when they cause the vision to wobble, and, you know, if the vision wasn't real sound to begin with, you know, we started the e-com and everybody was telling us we were nuts. You know, I had I had uh, I tried to get a line of credit from a bank in in probably 98, 2000, maybe 99, something like that. And two bankers came in and I always tell the story. It was it was so funny because they, they did this kind of like good cop, bad cop thing represented as the local bank. And the one guy said, like, I, I don't know, Ted, I just don't think I would ever feel comfortable giving my credit card to somebody on the Internet. And uh, it's like, people are going to do it. it it's it's going to be okay. So, I mean, if I had listened to every doubter, you would be paralyzed. You wouldn't be able to do anything. Like, you got to kind of take some chances. But if, if the vision's solid, you know, the failure's just part of it. You just kind of dust yourself off and you get back at it. Yeah. Well, as we get into trails, because we are here to talk about trails too with the Stan's <laughs> connection, you've seen a lot in terms of trails. How has it kind of evolved from your eyes and your perspective from the early days of maybe primitive single track hiking trail slash fire roads and just whatever you could find that was dirt to take a mountain bike on to where we are today with purpose-built single track and purpose-built flow trail and jump lines and bike parks? It's it's just incredible. I mean, there's the the contrast between the raw kind of, you know, zero track almost i used to call it because it was you know somewhere in the ferns there was a place that you could ride you know and you couldn't even see it most of the time and some of the east coast stuff was really raw and kind of rugged that way and um it's so nice that it's come into it its own and people it's the 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 participation in in mountain biking as an activity has become not just more broadly accepted by the masses but more broadly understood by the masses like they get it now because there was a time when you were trying to ride challenging trails but we, we once upon a time got the dcnr in pennsylvania to like agree that yeah we should really develop this we should put in a section of trail and they were like so we just come in with a vehicle and we'll just blow this all out i'm like no 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 guys like you're not getting what i'm not picking up what i'm putting down here like we don't want another fire road here you know like we we just want to meander you know like 
just think hiking trail, you know, it's like, we just want to be able to go through this. And so there, there was that kind of, you were dealing with found art, right? You know, you'd be some great trail that just sort of was always there deer path or whatever. And, that, you know, there's always going to be a soft spot in my heart for that just like weirdo stuff that's, you know, um, sometimes it's real technical, but other times it's just real cool. You know, it's just doesn't see that much use and stuff. But so now so, so many things are beyond just the purpose built stuff, which is a whole other world. I mean, I'm crazy fortunate to be about an hour, 15 minutes from Hood River, uh, Oregon and the Post Canyon Trail Network. And that's just mind blowing. I mean, the idea that something like that could exist, you know, with these absurd banked turns and just this much energy going into this, this amazing place. It's, it's, it's like Disney World, you know, for, for mountain bikes. And and all the features, if you're into that, all kind of like whatever you want is a bunch of really cool stuff there and all sorts of different levels and skill sets and everything are, are able to be entertained. It's just super cool. But separate from that, even just the the evolution of what bikes are able to do. And even when you don't have much in the way of a tremendous trail network to work with, the involvement of the community is tremendous now because you know we we were the only ones keeping our trails running for a while you know we convinced dcnr to help us and they some people there were really cool keeping the trails in pennsylvania alive where we were but it wasn't a high traffic area people used to make jokes one of the rangers told me one time it'd be a great state park as long as nobody came to visit it and it's like that's kind of the opposite you know of what you generally would would, would want but you know, from that, like, kind of uh, do-it-yourself, like, small uh, group of people struggling to keep it alive just to keep the trail, keep the blackberry bushes back and keep the trail broken to just the teamwork that goes into even small trail networks or even suburban trail networks or even pump tracks in an urban setting or whatever. Like, the, the community involvement is what's super amazing to see. And and I'm I'm in Vancouver, Washington right now, and there, there's a place I can ride to from the house. I didn't want to disclose the location because it's kind of super cool. It's all super super populated, but it's really really cool. And the idea, I mean, we've got a one way trail. The, the local trail group is is so outstanding that we have a, a one way uh, downhill trail that's like no hiking, bike one way only. You know, my mind explodes. I couldn't have imagined you know anything like that. You know when when we were just trying to find whatever we could to ride like just the idea that there's that much community behind it that you can build something like that and you could put the signage up and you could take care of it and and everybody can pull together doesn't have to be a spectacular sprawling trail network it can be a, a community trail but it's uh the commitment to it is is amazing and so that is what brings us to the Stands Connection program, because when we looked at that, I thought, you know, we're nothing without trails. I mean, Stands does a lot of different things for you know, a lot of different products. We've got some products for the road and everything as well. But I mean, the company started with Stan just riding a mountain bike. And Stan's, he is a real person, boys and girls. It's like, like, like Santa, only better. You know, he's, he's legit. He's a wacky, wacky dude. Stan doesn't just think outside the box. Like Stan doesn't know where to box it, and uh, so Stan, Stan just didn't like flat tires, and he didn't have he didn't have Mavic UST money 
at the time and he was he was like man the flats flats are, are bad but i don't want to have to buy i just bought a bike i don't want to buy new wheels and, and all this other stuff and the tires early ust tube was tires kind of heavy and stuff so stan's like you know i i, I want to just come up with my own system and so that kind of that kind of spirit that sort of do-it-yourself thing um has always been 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 kind of a part and 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 that that love of mountain bikes and trails kind of always been a stand thing so as as we started looking at um different things we could do to give back we'd always been a big supporter of racing and you know racing is how we develop products so that was always the way and then um you can't talk about stan without talking about cindy koziatic um who who started the website stan's co-owner hugely responsible for a lot of of uh of what you see with the company and uh she's always been super supportive of women's racing we had some some dedicated women's teams early in the day and everything but it's always been about the riders and the community and everything and so we looked like okay how can we give back and you know we support various causes and things like that but i wanted to try to come up with something that was just baked into the product itself so you sell a product you just automatically do a little bit of good and the connection program in a nutshell is we just want to be able to any anytime somebody registers a, a wheel set with us buy a wheel set we, we let you register it online and it makes the war- any any warranty process quicker and stuff like that. So it's like a practical application. Lots of people do it anyway. But we decided that uh, it would be really cool if we could tie in a contribution to a, a local uh, trail advocacy organization or a charity, something like that. But we wanted to do it. Big component of it was, you know, there's about five or six that we started off with that are the like national or even international organizations people know you know world bicycle relief and and wheels for life the hans ray organization some of these other big ones that are out there and and, you know we wanted to include those but the whole point of it too was it's supposed to be all about community so i want somebody to be able to say oh there's my trail network you know i bought my stands wheels and i'm out i'm i'm in kansas or 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 i'm out here and you know i'm uh, i'm in you know Bellingham and and like so I want my little contribution like Stans is going to donate 10 bucks to to wherever you say I want my contribution to go to these people you know that 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 are making the trail happen and that took on new significance with the pandemic and everything because you know I've always loved my local trails but like I love my local trails you know I mean it's since rainy season has started here I've been gravel biker trainer or or mountain bike on pavement because like I won't touch a wheel to the trail as bad as I miss it because it's it's a suburban trail right it's over trafficked anyway like I love it so much I'm not going to ride it for you know 3 months or or, or whatever's necessary like those trails they kind of saved your life you know during during everything you know and and they continue to all the time and you know a donation at the end of the year we added up and and a, a a small donation to a smaller organization is in some ways more impactful than an even larger donation to a big organization you know it means more and and that's not really a news flash like even among the the nike leagues for the scholastic uh, participation kids in cycling and stuff like that a lot of times it comes down to that individual program that grassroots you know like the individual programs can can use that that uh more than you know just national uh, type operations. So that was really the motivation. Like, how do we help get 
funds in the hands of some of these organizations. But the the real, you know, the the secret mission here is that in order to do that, you get to educate people as to what their local riding group is. And there's plenty of ways to find that out. You know, there's plenty of great ways to find that out. But there's so many new people riding now. And I see them on the trail all the time. See all kinds of new riders. And, you know, won't get into how you can tell they're a new rider, but you can tell they're a new rider. There's various ways. And you, you say, do they know? You know, like sometimes you'll see something at the trailhead and there'll be a sign that says brought to you by, you know, by, by uh, Evergreen or, or what have you. But other times, there's no way they would know if you aren't helping show them. And, you know, why not do that through product? You know, they're, they're online. They're looking at stuff. If we can be a part of that and we can start baking that in. So one of the coolest things is I've been working on this map. And this is going to be a work in progress, and we're going to be rolling this out. We haven't launched our new wheels yet. We're going to be launching new wheels uh, really soon, and we want to have it in time for that. But putting together the map and asking people to tell us about their local group. And it can be a charity, too. It can be anything cycling-related, but it's a lot of trail advocacy groups. And we're getting places, you know, even outside the U.S., we have a, a, a page dedicated. We'll, I can include it for you in the show notes where people can go and make a suggestion for us. Because we want to know. I mean, these things matter so much to people and they're, they're so passionate about their individual local groups. And that's kind of how it should work. So we want to have this list together. And, and in addition to being able to donate to these people, we want to be able to have that so other people can go to the map and be like, well, what is near me? You know, and so you can go to a map. It's just based on the same thing you would find if you go like, show me a dealer in my neighborhood. It's just like that, only it's a cause in your neighborhood. So when we roll it out, you'll, you'll be able to kind of learn what your local group is and who to contact and uh, to, to, to be able to donate. If you want to do more, just find out more about where to ride, things like that. Um, but at the same time, that's the list that we're compiling that we can that we can give donations to. That's a whole different way of looking at this than A, I thought and B, have ever thought of. <laughs> yeah, well, that. You know, because it really does get it down to the grassroots side of things and it gets it down to the rider, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it's really all about that that individual. And, um, you know, the organizations are, are great, but they're made up of the individuals. And if we can do something on that consumer end to kind of tie the two of them together, that education piece is almost the most important thing to me. Like if, if I find out that there, there's like one person out there that wasn't aware that they had this group and that gorgeous trail that they're riding all the time that like magically the leaves are gone the next time you rode it somehow, you know? Um, and, and I can't say enough about, about the crew, the crew where I am and j- just, just how tremendous it is. I mean, there's been times I've rode, rode back to, to the trail with, with a hacksaw and it was already gone. You know, the thing was already gone and it's like that that's next level. But if, if we can connect one person with their local riding group to just to know that they have this support network out there, whether that's they, they want some people to ride with to show them stuff or whether that's that they want to be able to participate and, and help make things better or even just to, to find trails that counts, you know, more than than the donations even, you know, it's just that that education piece, really. With that being said, is there a way for organizations to reach out to get on your map? even if they're not sure you know, to, just to sure. get it all kind of tied together. Sure. In fact, a lot of the people, um, we, we have the, uh, the, the actual URL, 
uh, the little domain. We, it's it's on the stands website, and we we're working with a really cool guy named Bryce Sherbach. A lot of people in the industry know Bryce, and and he's uh, uh, created content for Pink Bike and super cool dude. And he travels around the local places, and, he, and Bryce is real local connected. So like when he goes and he does a video or something, it's very much a part of the trail building community and the community in general. You know where he is, so you're as as likely to see you know, photos of the coffee shop as you are NAR being shred, you know, Bryce covers the whole experience and it's, it's really cool. So we partnered with Bryce as part of this connection program and, and videos he's going to be making in the future are going to look at some of these individual communities and everything. But a lot of the people who are submitting ideas and, and submitting their organizations, they are the organization themselves, you know, and, and totally cool. If a company is affiliated with something, I mean, I've had I've had kind of high fives from competitors, you know, who are like, that's cool. Add these guys, you know, <laughs> and like, that's great. Like, that's what this is all about. So uh, I right now, there's just at notubes.com, there's just suggest a connection. It's got hyphens in between. So suggest hyphen a hyphen connection. And it's just a form. You can you can say, hey, check these guys out. And we just just ask for some, you know, the really basic stuff. We're not doing like personal email addresses, you know, want to post anything, even if that's a lot of these organizations, sometimes they're so small that it is like, you know, just, just email. If it's not like an actual organization email, you know, we, we don't, we don't feel right uh, putting it, but if it's an organization email, you know, so-and-so at IMBA, then um, yeah, we'll, we'll give you as much contact info as possible. So you can reach this organization. And, and as I say, that that's, that's more than half the battle. You know, if you can be aware when I saw the map, and I, I, I'm still kind of beta testing this and everything still, but I kind of sat back and I look at the map and uh, made a little icon. It's a little bicycle icon, you know, for the map. And, and that's different from the uh, dealer one that has like more of our logo and stuff. And you just see them all on the map and you're adding them a little bit here and there all the time. It's just really cool. I mean, it's really cool to know like, okay, if I went here and there's other people doing it, you know, we're certainly not the only ones doing it. But when you see it in the map format, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. I think we can do some really really good things with it. Yeah, and if you're anything like me, it makes you want to hop in the car and go visit these places. <laughs> so yeah, some look incredible because most include a link to the website, and then you can kind of see what you're in for. You know, it's like oh that that looks really cool. Um, I mean, traveling is a whole other you know whole 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 other section. I mean, this whole thing was launched as I say, kind of this out of this desperate love for these local trails that, that became so important to us, you know, with everything we've all just gone through and, 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 and how important it is to have some sort of, you know, support system nearby and things that you can do and everything, but travel as well, when you see it on the map and you're like, well, I'm headed that way anyway. I mean, I've used it for that even still in beta where it's like that, that looks really cool that I know, I know there's a trail there somewhere. And, you know, I happen to know a guy, but how can, how can I share that with everybody else? Like that might not know, a, know a guy, you know, now, you know, uh, now, now, you know, uh, a person there who can, who can help you find that, find that trail. Yeah. And, and Bryce does do a really good job. Bryce has been a, he was a former guest in this podcast back in January of this year. Cool. And, and quite honestly, the reason why I reached out to him is because of what he's doing with exposing communities through all the different avenues he's done. He's got the underexposed series, you know, he's got yep. a series with pivot. He's got, you know, like you said, he's, he had, I think he started out early on and was, it was like eastbound and down yeah. pink bike series. Yep. And that motivated me to, you know, to, 
to go to other places. I just, I just did a six part series in Knoxville and Knoxville was put on my map on my personal map because of the series that he's done about Knoxville. And it really made me want to reach out to those guys. And they ended up reaching out to me. Nice. And we did a really awesome series because Knoxville is one of those communities that it's a grassroots, awesome place to go. He makes it accessible, right? And I mean that in every sense of the word. You know, you you can you you see his photos and you you see the videos and you you feel like you're there. But then he also makes it literally accessible. Like you know, somebody you would call or you know you would you would talk to if you got there, and you know the shop to go to. And you know, we we can't leave bike shops out of this because they they have a huge role to play in all this too. You know, they they've also always been the kind of you know trailhead. Uh, uh, gurus, you know, for any, any particular region, but so many people are beginning their, their, their search for places to ride and stuff like that online, that it's just great to be able to get tips on, on some of these things and everything. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's super happy to, to, to be partnered with Bryce on it. Cause it's, uh, to say it's his wheelhouse would be an understatement. He's been doing a tremendous job with the community side of it for, for a long time now. Is there anything else with the connection series that we haven't talked about yet? No, as I say, it's 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 ramping up now, and really, we we had targeted it for uh, as, as as something to be. We we have it running now, so donations are being collected. But currently, it's only the kind of global, you know, the the, the big organizations. We're we're still working on some back end stuff to be able to to have all the granular individual small places. But the other thing too is, you know, once as we as we have this list, it lets us just contact some of these people to see if there's there's something we can do. They need some sealant to give away or something like that. You know, we, some of the most meaningful interactions we've had as a company have been with just trail organizations. Anyway, we're just saying, hey, can can we do something to help? And it's just the right place at the right time that 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 goes so far uh, with them. So I would you know say stay tuned. I, I wish I could say it's 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 fully. Uh, out and about now, but uh, we're we're still putting putting the finishing touches on it. But what we could really use right now, um, the thing I could really use from everybody is just your suggestions. Because the the you know the the more more pins on the map, the more options for people. Don't like seeing white space anywhere where there's you know something isn't accounted for. There's trails all over. So you know anybody that could just notubes.com suggest the connection. And let us know. Let us know about your tra- about your trails and how we can help. Yeah. So as you've alluded to, you you lived in Pennsylvania. You now live in Washington. One of the things I like to go into with people is, do they have a favorite trail system or community that they really like to go to, or that they you know have gone back to? Maybe, and maybe it's just where you live. You know. Yeah. But, yeah. but what really kind of what sticks out about that that community that you you like to travel to, or you know what makes it a good trail community for you? Well, it's funny you say because we're fortunate. There's some really great trails in in the neighborhood, and I tend to be a boring, boring monogamous trail dude. Like I'll just ride the same. You know, with I got uh, uh, kids, pets, crazy responsibilities, job, extra stuff. You know, and so my big thing is like if I'm having to think about it too much, I just get on the bike and ride to the local trails. Like I can't, I can't think about it too much. And if I'm thinking about it too much and I'm thinking about like, I'm going to be in the car for X amount of time. Like I would rather be riding than thinking about whether I'm going to ride. So I'll try to just get out, you know, like no excuses, just go ride. 
And, um, and that's kind of become kind of, you know, the, the, you know, basic, basic routine. So a lot, lot of love for the immediate local, local trails here in Vancouver. But it's funny you say, because if, if you get to experience Hood River, it's just a really cool thing to, to, to experience. And I was, I, I was bringing, uh, I got, I got really active competitive basketball kid and I was bringing him back from whatever gym number three the other day or whatever for the day. And, and we ended up, we were on, uh, uh, he was either just starting to drive. And so he was driving and I was giving him uh, directions and we were coming back from, from the gorge out here, which is where you head when you go into the mountains. And I was like, I had to drive there with him and drive back. And on the way out, I'm like, uh, he's like, is this the right way or something? And I said, yeah, yeah, this is, see, see the mountains. This is like, this is like the path to dad's happy place. You know, this is like, this is where you go. And then like, eventually you just, you just drive until you can hear like, you know, mountain gnomes on mountain bikes, you know, singing and everything. Cause it's just a whole other world. You know, you get, it's, it's, you know, a community built on recreation, you know, and that's, so that's just kind of a next level thing. And then coming back, coming home, I'm like, you want to be in the middle lane here. Cause we're going to take this exit. And I'm like, it splits into these three different lanes right around the time you can no longer hear the happy, happy mountain bike uh, elves and dwarves singing, you know, behind you, like you got, you're back in the, you're back in suburbia, you know, you're out of the mountains officially at that point, but that's almost unfair because hood river is tough to beat in terms of like uh, just a tremendous trail system. There's some other really, really cool trails. Uh, I like a lot in, in the area, the, the East coast stuff, they'll always be a, a soft spot in my heart and a lot of scabbing on my knees for East coast rocks. You know, you, you get back to the East coast and there's just, just some really cool trails. I haven't nearly ridden enough of them, but I, you know, when I was there, I would ride a lot of the same trails over and over again. And that, that diversity is kind of cool. You know, we have rock gardens here, but they're not as snaggly. You know, there's just something about the unfriendliness of the East coast rocks where it's like, really like that angle, you know? And, uh, and they're those slabs. They're those just weird, sharp, pointy slabs. And uh, so the old, the old places we used to ride, I had a chance to ride one of the new, the new bikes, not a Jameis, but the pre-Jameis was a prototype suspension system I did. And I took it to the old trails. And that was just an absurd, surreal experience. Because, you know, rock gardens, it used to be like, ah, if I figure, you know, if I, if I hadn't eaten this morning and I'm just right. And the sun's in the right spot. I can kind of, and it was just like, you just like motor right through it. You know, you don't even think about it. And it's like, wait, where was the rock garden? I was riding with a friend, you know, and it was like, good, we're through the rock garden, you know? And so it's, it's wild to see, you know, the new technology with kind of the, the, the old areas, but some of those cool old Southwestern PA kind of, kind of, uh, you know, upper tip of the, the Appalachian mountains there is pretty cool. And then out here, there's a lot of cool stuff, but hood, hood river stuff to beat. Yeah. It's, it seems like a lot of, a lot of the guests I've had in this show have been in that neck of the woods in the Pacific Northwest. And it's, it's a great place to be for mountain biking. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff. Get, you know, get soggy. Um, it's nice. You, you can, you can get to some drier, drier spots. Bend is nearby, and there's a lot of, not nearby, but Bend is within range. There's a lot of cool stuff out in Bend if you if you need to get a little drier. Um, yeah, it the, the the all up and down here. There there's there's some some pretty cool stuff, and I was fortunate enough to get to ride just a little bit in Bellingham, and that's obviously like its own weird kind of one, wonderland up in Bellingham. 
yeah, that was, that was pretty, that was pretty cool too. Well, before we wrap this thing up, do you have any words of wisdom or anything you want to close with? Uh, you know, I think in the whole positive message, self-empowerment thing, you know, we, we, we touched on the failure thing, but I, I think the one thing with all the things kind of through line with all the different things that I have going on right now is it, it's clear that it's just a, a really exciting time to, uh, to, to try new things, you know, from, from a business standpoint or in, in terms of, uh, getting out on a bike, if you haven't in a while or, or, or asking more questions about your bike or seeing whether there's something you can do to help with the local trail organization, it's just, it's a great time to ask questions and try new things. And so that, that whole, um, uh, lack of fear of failure or or willingness to tolerate failure is is probably a a good positive message to take from it and and you know it's what we're trying to do with the connection program too we won't change the world necessarily but if we can do a little bit of good in little places that's that's the goal really so yeah and and you know i'm I, you can put my contact information i'm i'm certainly available anybody that's uh wants to find a way that they can uh, they can help or or wants that uh link to be able to suggest a place or a cause that we can we can help support i'm always accessible or if anybody wants to talk uh talk suspension systems and all that um, i'm game I'm, I'm always here yeah well i'm i'm excited to watch this whole thing roll out i mean this is this is really good i mean there's cool. i mean you nailed it with the fact that you can't go mountain biking without trails and that's where we all started right <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely it's the integral piece that we we can't take for granted. We're more aware of it now than 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 before, but it's so indispensable. I mean that that's the missing part of the equation. Like when we're we're selling your products, we got to be, you know, in part giving back to the venue. You know, the the way you use the product, it's just so critical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to take the stuff somewhere, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, Chris, I really appreciate your time. This has been another incredible interview. I, you know, like I told you in the email when we reached out about topics, you know, I, I got a hold of you because of the connections thing. And then when I looked into you, I was like, oh, this is the guy that did Speedgo. This is the guy that did the 3VO suspension. I, I listened to a podcast on single tracks about this. You got to hit some of those topics too, because there's just so much there. Well, I, I appreciate you, you, you charging into the, to, to the wacky range there the uh it's 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 a lot of a lot of ground to cover and and hopefully kept it kept it interesting for everybody it's been an interesting ride for sure uh doing a lot of different things but hopefully there's 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 something listeners can can take from it and uh as i say i'm i'm always accessible too so having done a million things and failed in 10,000 different directions. I'm, 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 I'm here for people. If anybody has any questions, I'd love it. If people had ideas for, for their own ways, they can, they can help with trails or if people, uh, had ideas, things they're, they're coming up with themselves, you know, bike stuff, the, uh, kind of bike nerds all have to stick together, support one another. So if you have an idea out there, that's crazy. And you just need somebody to say, that's probably worth doing, you know, but I'm, I'm here for you. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. We'll get everything in the show notes and listeners will be able to get to all the links they need to get to. So again, I really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. 
This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. 